Hello my fellow creatives, Ed here, back again with another episode of the Don't Think Act podcast. Today I talk to Connor Needs, an actor on stage, screen, in motion capture, a director for motion capture, for a pretty big game which I think, I think you just might have heard of if you know your video games. We get chatting about Who's teaching our future artists today and are they qualified? We talk about what it's like when actors neutralize their accent. And we talk about the acting genius, Rory Kinnear. We talk about so many things. This, this is an absolute banger of an episode, if I do say so myself. And it's because it's full of inspiration from Connor. So I hope whatever you're doing, you're relaxed and you're ready to enjoy don't think act hello 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 were you waiting a long time no no just my computer was really slow man pain in the backside and i just wondered if you were in for a bit and it just didn't let me know because it only just popped up that you were that you were waiting just get that wheel of death (laughs) when my computer starts to wake up a little bit and you're like come on a place to be, to see. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the last thing we see before we die. Just, just the wheel of death. Just that spinning. Just with the with the old Windows music. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> Our life buffering. Yeah. Gosh. Well, good morning, Connor. Thank you for joining me. Um, well, thank you for having me. I just hope I can be of some use. Oh, you know what? Everybody says this, and if you've listened to any of the podcasts, most of them have been like, "What am I going to talk about?" And you get people talking, and you know what? Creatives have got a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've got a lot of opinions, and um, yeah, you know that. If you've not guessed by now, the whole point of it is to just paint the realistic picture of what it's like to be in the business. I mean, from what I have listened to, that's what I've been most surprised by. Actually, is how much has resonated with me from different people in different walks of life where I'm like oh yeah no I've had that oh yeah I've had that as well yeah that makes sense to me well that that makes me feel good not that (laughs) not about all the negative stuff you might relate to but just that the whole point of this is to be like you know it makes you feel so isolated sometimes and we're not alone and there's Mm -hmm. there's so many of us um going through similar things and had having similar experiences um but cool. Well, if you're if you're ready, I'll I'll, I'll get into it. Yeah, no, I'm very happy. <laughs> you are listening to the Don't Think Act podcast with Ed Ismail. Great. 
Well, thank you for joining me on the Don't Think Act podcast, Connor. Um, as everyone knows by now, unless you're new to the podcast, I like to start at the very beginning. So, Connor Neves, where were you born? Yeah, I'd like to ask the audience, where do they think I was born? Because that's <laughs> been the, the question of my whole career. People going, are you a Geordie? No, I'm not, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm, I'm a Cumbrian. Uh, so I'm from Carlisle in the up in Cumbria, the Lake District. Um, as north as you can get before you get to the border of Scotland. Um, I like to joke that I'm from the west of Hadrian's Wall, not the east, um, where the Geordies are, and the, if you will. Um, and people used to elope over to Gretna to go and get married back in the day. Yeah, so yeah. On that cusp. Did you grow up in Cumbria? Yeah, I was there till I was 18, and then got into drama school, moved to London. And I've recently just relocated back after 12 years in London. So whether wow. this is based myself professionally, I don't know. That's, that's, that's the next step of my life. And um, to those not familiar with the area, what, how would you describe growing up in Cumbria? Uh, well, it's picturesque. Like if you, it's like anything, isn't it? Like when you've got it on your doorstep, you don't really take advantage of it. Um, we're really fortunate that we've got the lakes, we've got the all the fells, the like, oh, it's beautiful. The landscape's awesome, really is. Um, and it's one of those things that I kind of wish that I'd taken more advantage of when I was younger. Um, in terms of Carlisle itself, we're a relatively small city. We're a city because we've got a cathedral. Um, and I've always like, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's like one of those places like, I couldn't imagine growing up anywhere else. I, I wouldn't want to have my kids in London, for example, because mm. for me, it was growing up here. It was it was like a nice size in the fact that like you could walk pretty much anywhere in reasonable time. Um, you sort of knew everybody. Like The downside to that is everybody's in your business. Um, but I used to always joke that like, if we had a tube up here, you could be at the other side in about 10 minutes. You know, like, so there's, there's something, about the, something about the scale of it that I've always really enjoyed, really liked and thought was really homely and, and friendly. Um, in terms of the arts, in terms of provisions, we, like, I mean, honestly, we had naff all, absolutely naff all. Um, our, our local theatre, Theatre by the Lake, unless you sort of got, unless you you were always dependent on people driving because the travel links there are, are, are rubbish. Mm. So even their local audience are, are like they 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 rely so heavily on tourism, and yet a lot of their local audience have to travel as well. Um, so when I sort of did start getting into theatre and stuff, I actually ended up getting the train a lot more to so the likes of Glasgow and Newcastle to go and see sort of touring productions because that was just more accessible to me at the time. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I grew up like working class family. Uh, we, I used to play a lot of football, grassroots football. That was sort of my youth. Um, sort of under 11s up to about under 15s or so. That's what I did. Um, yeah, I can't, yeah, I speak highly of it. It's, it's a nice place, man. Yeah. And I'm sure, um, I don't know if this happened to you. I imagine it might have done, but when I, when I moved out of London, um, the first thing I noticed was the change of air quality. Oh, but the first thing I do whenever I come back, like whenever I visit my parents, first thing I do is have a pint of water. Mm-hmm. Like the water's amazing. Yeah, I bet. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, I mean, foot, we had the foot and mouth as well. It's like, like there's the smell of manure, things like that. Like they're, they're just so weirdly calming to me. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, that's a, that's a smell of home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's lovely. And so how did how did acting or creativity find you then in, in Cumbria? How did that come to you? I mean, depends who you believe, right? <laughs> I look back on a lot of my youth and I try and like remember shit. And people will be like, what's your favourite memory? And I'm like, honestly, I, might, I 
I don't really know. <laughs> I can't remember. But um, if you were to ask my dad, mm. uh, he said he took us to like a local amateur uh, pantomime, me and my sister. Um, and apparently I turned to him during the show and said, how do I get on stage? How do I do that? Mm. Um, but so, I mean, yeah, because I was doing a lot of the football. I never really considered it. My sister was my sister's about three and a half years younger than me. We're the only two family members that like pursued the arts, and it's it's bizarre that we come. We're quite we've got quite a large extended extended family on my mum's side, um, slightly smaller on my dad's, um, and yeah, we're the only two to have gone into it. And uh, my sister ended up joining. Uh, do you have you heard of Rasmataz? They're like all over the shop now. Yeah. So they started in Carlisle. Their their first branch opened here. I don't quote me on the year, but she's about three and a half years younger than me. She, she, she started doing that. And she started going to, um, I used to like go and watch her do those shows as well. Like all their like little concerts and dance shows and stuff. And so I was like, yeah, that's when I started getting into it a bit. And then um, it's always, it's those teachers that come into your life that don't realize they're making such a big effect. Do you know what I'm So I, I went to secondary school, maybe, maybe like years, year eight, year nine, something like that. And we got a new English teacher, Mr. Dunn. Um, and he started a drama department. And then um, I remember there being like auditions for the school play. We were going to do a production of Bugsy Malone. And I really wanted to audition. I thought, yeah, I want to do this. But I was petrified of what my mates would think. I was genuinely, genuinely petrified. Like, oh, God, they're going to think I'm gay or something. Like, that, 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 they were like the thoughts going through your head. Mm. And I never did. So I never auditioned. And then subsequently, we had the floods. I don't quote me again, don't quote me on the other like 2004, 2006, something like that. We had like the major floods. Um, so the school was like out. We were like put into half days um, in the art college. Um, and we were like, we were on half days for about six months. It was insane. And then um, when we finally did get back into the school, we were in port cabins for yonks, absolute yonks. Um, and there's a, it's weird, like in Carlisle, there's like all your secondary schools are on like the same sort of high street. They're really close to each other. So like fights would happen all the time uh, between the schools. But there's like one like little alleyway that like goes from the schools into like what we, what, what's our posh area, Stanix, where all the rich people live. And we joke about that. Um, and me nana and granddad live up in Stanix. Uh, I was joking, rich side of the family. Uh, not. Uh, <laughs> but um. My mates are like, oh, you come to play? Like, oh, we're going to this match, you come to play. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to go to my nana's. I'm going to go to my nana's. And I, I snuck, pretended to, like, sneak off as if I was going to go up this lane. Because basically the school had them, when we finally got back into the school, we are in these porter cabins. They uh, they did these auditions again for the show. We're going to put this show on. Um, and so I, I snuck there. I snuck an audition to it. Absolutely petrified. And then um, I got cast. And then the funniest thing about it, I'm sitting there saying how worried I was about my mates. But then the weird thing about it is like I'm I'm on lunch times and that when you're going to rehearse it, all of a sudden I was hanging out with like the older girls. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden I was like the cool kid. So all of my mates like followed us, like came and did it as well. Like some of them were like the ensemble, some of them came and did like technical theatre. So I set a bit of a movement. Um and that, I mean, in terms of that story, I was drama. I was like, it's like I'm the Billy Elliot from the West. Do you know the West? <laughs> um, it's, it's, I think it's something, I mean, I don't know, but for a lot of my, my time, I've always found that there's always been a shortage of males when it comes to 
anything to do with drama or acting or any groups you might belong to. You, and and then you find yourself, I mean, I remember, I think Michael Caine says this, he got into acting because he he, he fancied all the girls. He, like, he got to be with girls because no other guys were in the acting class. That's how he started, um, which is, uh, you know, slightly sexist way of getting into the business. Um, but uh, seriously, like there's always been a shortage of males. Um, and it's not, unfortunately, it's not like that when you get into the business and you want to get professional work and you find there's 150 people that look like you. Um, but yeah, that is a that is a thing I can relate to very much. And um, yeah, suddenly getting a different kind of attention and being around a different group of people than you normally would. And um, it also does a lot, I think, would you say it did a lot for your confidence when oh, you started huge, doing drama? Yeah, huge amounts. Um... I mean, look, I always sort of knew I wanted to be an actor quite early because I was really fortunate. My mum and dad were like massive film buffs. So like, we used to like go to blockbusters every weekend and that. And um, or an important thing that I should say as well, like, I, I, I cite computer games as my first engagement with storytelling as well because I wasn't the strongest reader growing up. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like from that, like, yeah, just getting, putting yourself, just, just having the confidence to sort of break out of your group, mm. I think was huge. Um, I get, it's it's that interesting thing in it like i think i think around that age like year eight year nine people are starting to find themselves and everybody's a little bit awkward because like oh what, what do i want to do with my life and no oh, everybody's going to judge me and it's like oh. this is why i think big mouse a brilliant show on netflix like that that to me is like the pinnacle of my youth i'm like it just makes so much sense i'm like why didn't the show was that in school <laughs> <laughs> so if you've not watched big mouth everybody i really recommend it it's a good laugh um, it's also a very acquired taste of humor um but i mean like from that it just spiraled it's like that teacher told me about myt i'd never heard of myt national youth theater great britain that was just never coming to my theater i applied for that a couple of times never got in was never ready um the, 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 then the next bit was like sort of uh trying to get your a levels together and i really knew i wanted to act at this point it's like that's all i wanted to do the school were trying to get me to do science I ended up going to Connections. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yes, I've heard of Connections. Um, they were like a like a career development help yeah. team. And they were like, oh, why don't you go and do this BTEC at the University of Cumbria? You could do performing arts. And I, again, I never considered that. So 16-year-old, six, I went and did that course. And what was fascinating about that was like, you're, you're saying about confidently, like instantly I was thrown into a group of people who were like from the ages of 16 upwards. Like I think one of our eldest students was 25. So at that point, I was mixing with different ages as well. Um, same for me, same course, and same for me. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, and it was it was brilliant. And and Dr. James is it fantastic? One of the best teachers I've ever come across. He came into that course at the time. Um, it's so bizarre how these things happen. And I ended up trying for MIT again that year. I got in. That's when I went and did my two year intake course with them. Um. But at that point, I didn't realize like anything else happened after. I just thought that was it. Once you remember, you remember. And I didn't realize you like you auditioned for castings and stuff. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, but yeah, this is this is when I sort of started learning the basic skills. And where so where where did you do NYT for those that are? I had to come to London. I had to come down to London. Right. So what at sixteen? Yeah. So no. So uh, was it sixteen? So no, I've been about sixteen, seventeen. I would have been about then. Wow. It was in my my first year of the BTEC, so I'd have been on that seventeen eighteen course, um, because it was it was just before I was like going to apply for drama school, 
Um, but yeah, no, it was the, the, the last few that was talking to you about the director from Essex. She was saying about not feeling like she was welcome in certain rooms. I found that really interesting. Um, oh, um, talk about Shell, Michelle Payne. Michelle Payne, yeah. On, she, she was talking about sort of the the the, the course fees and saying, sorry, the audition fees. Yeah. And I found that interesting because I was like, because at the time I was working multiple jobs as well. I was like working in Tesco on an evening um, during summers and holidays and stuff. I was working as like a, an archivist and receptionist for a construction firm. And at this point I was doing like, my, my dad always says to us, he's like, we've never had to worry about you. Because at the time, because I, I knew I wanted to be, I, I was really good at just like research and stuff. And I was like researching the course I wanted to do. I was traveling to Newcastle, Glasgow, seeing shows. I was buying me programs so I could see where everybody was training. Um, but then I, the, the the big the big sort of, the the big hurdle I had wasn't just the audition fees. It was the it was the train travel. Yeah. It was it was the accommodation, and like I had to sort of sit there and go, right, this is all I can afford. Mm. So I had to be like really selective on where I was going to apply. Um, I applied at four schools. Um, and at eighteen, I got re- I, I got reserve list at Rada, and I got final rounds everywhere. And then I got I got an offer on a dad dad at Mountview. Um, so I, t- I took I took the Mountview. So I was like dad um, Obviously, it was the only choice at the end. But um, what I did what I'd achieved was was at that age from where I came from was something I'm super duper proud of. Um, and then that's when I moved to London, eighteen. And I, I went I went to drama school quite young, 18 to 21. Um, what was it like moving what was that transition from sort of um, living as oh, small, it was, oh, it was horrible, as you can? It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. It was um, me and my first girlfriend broke up as a result of it, my puppy love, if you will. So like, I'd, I'd moved to London heartbroken. Oh. It was never going to work. Um yeah, it was the first time I was away from like my friends, my family. Like I, I couldn't have been further away necessarily. Did like, it was like an expensive travel. Hmm. If I wanted to just like pop home on the weekend or whatever, it'd be costing me hundreds of pounds. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always joked I can go I can go to Germany for less money than I can go home. And that blows my mind. Yeah. I can travel abroad for less money than I can just go in between this country. But there you are. If I was if I was a prime minister one day, I'd be renationalizing the railways. That'd be the first thing. <laughs> um, Good for you, definitely. I mean, it was all like there was a massive culture shock as well, like just completely different world to what I'd grown up in. Um, but like a good culture shock, one that like gave a lot of learning, and and one that I'm really glad to have had. I've made mates for life from it. Um, I do think, on reflection, maybe I was too young. Um, I don't think I necessarily appreciated it at the time. Um, but also like at dramas, it's, it's interesting, like a lot of drama school, they go through these like transitional periods, right? And I think I think in the current state that they're in now, that they're all sort of coming out that end again. But it's like where all like the teachers start to leave or the principals change. And mm-hmm. so like um we went through one of those when I was there in my second year. Um and I found it really disjointing and, and I it really sort of tarnished my experience of going to drama school. Because I never felt like I was getting the training that I I I felt like I um, that I wanted to receive. Um, in, in what way were your expectations not met? Well, it was just like certain like modules were really short. I never felt like we really got into the nitty gritty of anything. Um, 
I should probably preface this by saying I'm, I'm now teaching in drama schools, aren't I, Ed? Which is why, I don't I think this is why it's so on my mind. Um, but I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, nobody ever told you why you were doing anything. Mm. And I'm not saying you need the answers, but it felt like everything was rhetorical. And I do believe a lot, I do think something should be rhetorical. But when you're preparing people for an industry, I never like so they always use the analogy of oh we're giving you this for your toolbox right yeah but then nobody was ever telling me when I would need those bloody tools mm. and is do have you ever found yourself in uh, I don't know any kind of situation where you've suddenly recalled to that time and there's been a bit of a eureka moment or has that not happened at all where you've gone oh that's I need that for now. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But then it's like a, if if they told me, <laughs> if they'd given me a bit of a, do you know what I mean? It's like I could have used that. Like that would have been more useful to me earlier. Yeah. Than me having like ten, like because I mean I'm ten years in now. Yeah. And sitting there ten years later, going, oh, this is the light bulb moment they told me I'd have. I would have. Yeah. Well, you could have helped me get to that light bulb moment a bit sooner. Yeah. And I'm not saying we have to force feed people. I um. I, as you've probably heard already on the pod, maybe I have a thing about drama schools and it's a bit, it's a bit, it's kind of stupid to have a thing about drama schools because I, I haven't had the experience. I didn't, I couldn't afford to go and I'm not bitter about it. I'm glad I went where I went. Um, but my, my judgments about drama school and they are judgments and I, I own that, um, are that when I see the talent that's being produced, uh, that I do feel like the majority of it is kind of like a bit of a cloning factory um, and people aren't being people, they're not, they don't seem to be producing individuals, but another thing I've noticed and I'm not, this isn't um, this is a comment on you because I know you're teaching, but I know a lot of people that end up teaching at drama schools haven't actually had any experience in the industry. There are lots of people that go from leaving drama school and I know some of these people to a year later, two years later, having hardly any experience in the industry, any acting on stage or on screen, then going back and teaching. And that's always been a concern for me. I don't know if that's something you've observed already in your in your teaching. Or, or, or... Um, I've definitely observed it, yeah. <clears throat> um, so, in, uh, I mean, I've been teaching about three years now academically. Um, and then I was teaching a lot longer. I was facilitating a lot longer in schools um, and things like that beforehand and for MYT as an associate. Um, it's, I mean, look, it's a constant, I think it's a constant battle, right, between theory versus practical. And I think to teach the theory, I think you, I, 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 I don't know, but ultimately I, th I think there's got to be some form of expertise there some form of knowledge um on the practical side of things maybe there's a bit a little bit more leeway there because it's about i mean one of the things i will always say to my students i'm like look i'm not this all i'm teaching i'm teaching you my practice do you know what i mean it's like i'm not i'm not precious if you i'm not saying you have to sit there and keep it i'm like if something doesn't resonate with you bin it please bin it mm. I'm just telling you that this has worked for me. Um, 
so I, I think I think you can I think you can be a bit more flexible there, in terms of the clones and all that, and then I, I can totally see why you, why you would see that. I, I think things are fashionable at certain times, and and I think schools do cotton onto that, and um, so they might be more conscious that they're trying to feed that market. Um, but I do think there's the big shift that I've noticed, and and the one that I think is the right shift is this notion of we're, we're, it feels like schools are training people to be artists now and um, to That's look at right. themselves. Not, not genuinely, it's like there's a real, specifically, particularly at Guildhall, um, there is a real, real shift on, um, focus on shifting what success looks like, mm. um, which I think is the biggest thing that's needed across the board. Um, like for example, if you like, you really got to quit. You've got to ask yourself, right? Why are you doing it? Why, 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 why are you going out there? Why are you putting yourself out there? And for me, it's if you if if you want to work in regional theatre, and you're working in regional theatre, then that's successful. Yeah. If you want to go and work with refugees, and you're doing that, that's successful. Hmm. This notion that like unless you're Hollywood, or unless you're Netflix. Like, is it helpful long term? Hard to sustain those high peaks, isn't it? Yeah, but this is, I mean, like peaks and troughs. You, I mean, you've known me, I've had two really good years and then I've had bitty bits here, there and everywhere. And it, that's the other thing I would say. You're, you're saying about you didn't, you didn't go to drama school. I did go to drama school, but then I came out of drama school, didn't work for multiple years, got dropped by my first agent. And then I went back to the National Youth Theatre. I went and did their rep company in 2015. And so, so I effectively went backwards. There's no one set journey. And it's really like, even when I did the rep company, I had 18, 19 year olds. I'm like 24 at this point or whatever. They're all signing with top agents, Mark and Frogger Irwin, Independent, Curtis Brown, United. I got nothing. It was like a tumbleweed, no interest at all. And of course the first go-to is, am I shit? Hmm. And then the second go-to is my career's over. Yeah. Because in my mind, where I've come from, where I had nothing, because don't let's forget, like don't forget, I've had to work, I've had to work harder. Than, like people in London, and I, I, this isn't bitten, this is just fact, man. People down south have had every everything on their doorstep. Yeah. They've had provisions. Um, so if I'm if, if we want to talk like levels in the computer, if I'm if I'm standing at level five, people down south, they're they're on like level 15 already. Yeah. So I'm having to play catch up all the time. Um, so there's no one set strand. I re I realise I haven't completed my thought there because I'm I'm terrible for going off on tangents. So no, do. no, Thank this is <laughs> a long form conversation podcast, and it's based on tangents that I don't. I know, I know I'll listen like to that back and I'll go, oh, that's what I meant, and I didn't say it. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, you're <laughs> you're good. Um. I remember and um, we did touch you touched upon this immediately when I asked you where you're from so I'd like to have a, a chat about this and um a while back uh I remember you you were hunting for an agent and um I think I might get this wrong so you can correct me but someone said to you they don't know what to cast you as because of your accent because your accent's not a Lancashire accent or it's not a Geordie accent. Like there are no Cumbrian 
characters so how could they what would you get cast in is that was that some am i on the right god i've had so many different weird things said to me like that yeah in my career so yeah, I, I think that's probably important for everybody actually so um i've actually self-represented for about 80 percent of my career um so i've had to get really good at the business side of things and how do i sell myself how do i communicate with people um but where I've really, really, I've really struggled with agents, and and I, I can't put my finger. I've got a, I've got a CV that I'm super proud of. I've done really good work. I am, I've got footage galore. Like I'm, I'm proud as punch. But for whatever reason, I don't seem to fit a mold that this industry wants. And I should probably say that as well. If you're not, if you're not familiar with me, I'm five foot seven, bald, <laughs> and I've got a bit of a baby face. So I'm well aware. I'm in this weird casting bracket where I'm like, I'm too old for the young parts, and I'm too mm. young for. The does that make sense and yeah. i am really really aware of that and i'm realistic about that and i know i'm like a little baby pup i'm going to grow into my paws i'm very confident of that um but yeah i mean like with the cv that i've got i've had one agent turn around to me and say um i don't know how i can improve your cv what a strange thing to say and i've worked at the national twice i've worked with two oscar winners I've just directed a computer game that's one game of the year, which is effectively an Oscar for games. Um, I'm multidiscipline. I, I'm I'm like a triple threat. I sing and everything. Like, I've got an eclectic. It's, it's bizarre. Mm. For whatever reason, and yeah. The, but the accent things that that's probably been the thing I've grappled with the most. So um, again, I think it was Michelle Payne was saying about like having the Essex accent and um, the the whole yeah the whole Cumbrian thing like so. It, it very rare, but every audition I tend to walk into, the first question I'm asked is, are you a Geordie? And that that's fascinating to me because if you put me next to a Geordie, we don't sound remotely alike. No, you don't. I think this is when you get into the representation argument as well. This notion of um, what, why are people's stories really important, right? And I was thinking about this today. I'm like, so there's, um, I was thinking about this this morning. It's like um, Rory Kinnear did... Um, a series which was set, I can't remember the name of it, but it was it was based around the Cumbrian shootings that happened um, around this, uh, Derek Bird and the Ralph Mort. It was around that time. The, right. they, they happened within like a week of each other. But then they relocated this story to the Southwest. Um, Lee Matterson, a Cumbrian playwright, wrote a play which was set in a caravan park, which was meant to be in Cumbria. And when that finally got produced, they relocated that to Newcastle. And it, this is what I find quite interesting about it. It's like any stories that are in our area, they're not really told in our area or by actors from our region. And there are actors from our region. But what I find fascinating about that is those actors from the region that have actually done, that are, that are sort of semi, um, that are, what am I trying to say here? That, that are in the public eye, shall mm. I say, um, have poshed up, have neutralised their accent. And I've always been aware that my accent is going to get me work and going to lose me work. Um, I wish I had the answers. But again, again, um, the, uh, the Canadian last who got cut from films, if I found that, that, that resonated with me because it's like I finally got cast in a Cumbrian film. It was all about a Cumbrian golfer, Phantom of the Open. It was like buzzing, get in. I'm actually going to be in a story about where I'm from. I, was, I had two scenes opposite Michael Islands. 
I was the only Cumbrian actor in it, and I didn't make the cut. But I didn't make the cut because it didn't progress the story. And so mm. that, in terms of like having the, in terms of having the my material cut, that's fine. Like, I'm all right with that. The frustrating thing for me is that was me getting to tell a story about where I'm from, yeah. and I was, I was the legitimate grounding of that. And this is why I guess this is why this is why the whole diversity argument is really important because it is about accuracy. Mm. And I'm not saying every company has to have people from that demographic. I'm not saying it, like a production of a hired man um, has to have an entire Cumbrian cast. But what I would hope is that even within that company, that could be backstage, that could be the MD, that could be anybody within that company. You just want that one person who's got the factual knowledge that if you're doing something that is inaccurate, they can put you back on the right track. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's really I can't believe they changed the location. Um that's yeah. Or, or it's or it's a that story where it's like or it's a story where it's like, oh it's set in Cumbria. Does it make sense, does it because like on screen and stage, how many times have we have we seen stories told in lots of places in the UK, not not every, you know, not just London, but you know, Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds, Newcastle, the Southwest. Uh, so, what? Yeah, it's so weird. What is it about? But then I also think, like, I I feel that about Wales as well. I think Wales gets a bad rap. Um, no, I don't disagree. I don't um, disagree. Um, but yeah, you're you you know. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm really annoyed about that. I'm really sorry that happened. And um, I mean, look, it's not and, your, your and, fault. Um, and, and like, the, there's two things about. Answer. Yeah, there's two things about the whole like the story with the in the in the golfing film, um, which is I think what I said to Holly as well, which was like, um, a why is there a scene written in a film that's disposable? <laughs> like, you know, um. I guess that I guess things well that's unfair. Things do change in the editing stages, um, especially if you've got a runtime to keep to. Uh, things do become expendable, I guess. But yeah. again, like the point that you make about being like the only thing, the sort of the only symbol of where the story is from, that's 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 a hard one. That's a hard one to take. Yeah. But I mean, because because these things are always changing, because they, they're moving the location. This is why I cite us as the forgotten region. It's the same with casting call. You see quite a lot of these open casting call-outs now going, oh, we want people from the northwest. And then they'll go uh, Manchester or Lancashire. And it's like, so Cumbria, one of the biggest land masses in the country, one of the most densely populated counties, <laughs> isn't included. And it's like, it's like we just don't exist. And that's what baffles me about it. Um, how we address it, I don't know. Well, other than making your own work, but I, even that as a comment, I'm like, it's easier said than done. Like, you need money to make your own work ultimately. And if you're outside of the Arts Council or private benefactors, if you don't have it, you don't have it. Mm. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's difficult. And this is, again, this is why I think the whole diversity argument is really important. Um, because you want accuracy in the stories that you're telling. But I do think in terms of this diversity argument, can it also extend to what we hear? Can we be casting people with 
the correct accent because it's again it's it's the other notion of like playing up and playing down like people people from the south will be cast as people with my accent before i'm ever given the opportunity to speak like them and trust me i can do a pretty good good rp you know if i'm given the opportunity yeah um yeah you get the idea um it's but it's it's the it, it is the same story isn't it i think we all I've, I've always said this from the start um when i got into the business like i'm choosing the most prejudiced business to get involved in and although it has it's come a long way in the last few years particularly as there's been more conversations about diversity and inclusion it's 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 come on leaps and bounds but there there is still so much work to be done yeah, and there and there is still uh, a large proportion of people working in the industry that haven't come around to that notion who don't who who still just want to stereotype everybody um oh that's an interesting point I do, uh, I've, I've that being a being a bald northerner sorry i'll just ride on that quickly but yeah um, go for it i i have grappled with this a lot i think we should you, you look at the riz ahmed test right mm. Riz test and and what he's sort of challenging and I think about that a lot. The amount of times I get called in to play racists or racists. Like, but then I do, I sort of sit there and I'm like, okay, so I've got a bald head and I've got this really working class northern sound. I'm then hyper-conscious. Do I want to tell those stories? Am I then feeding into a narrative mm. that I don't agree with? Do, do you know what I mean? It's it's there's like a moral question. There. And sure, it's different if you're being cast in, you know, Shane Meadows. This is England um, to to play a skinhead from the eighties. Mm. Then fine, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and no, I'm, not dispu- I'm not disputing that's my look, <laughs> but um, I just no no, but that but implicit in, in but we we also do have casting. We also do have casting types. That's the thing. Like, um, I think this is something that should be discussed. And as I've mentioned before, I don't, I don't know what the right thing to do is. I don't know whether you lean into your stereotype and start building that work up and getting that credits and start showing yourself just to get the work. But at the same time, you do feel a bit resentful. And as I said before, when I started, I was suicide bomber, asylum seeker, terrorist. Um, because they looked at my name and they looked at my face, and that's all they—that's all they saw. Um, and uh, and even in looks, we can't escape the prejudice. There, I'm fully aware. I'm not a leading man. Um, I'm aware of what a leading man looks like. Um, whether I agree with what a leading man should be is a different story. But the the reality of the business is, um. I'm a character actor, so I'm not going to be the lead of the film. I mean, I was co-lead in a film once, and it was—it really wasn't—I wasn't good. <laughs> um, kind. So, you know, there's there's certain things that you kind of have to accept about the business that I think are never uh, aren't really ever going to change because it is it is a business and it needs mm-hmm. to make money uh, for it to continue, and. Th- the harsh reality is you kind of have to play up to those things. Um, but I don't I don't necessarily agree with it. 
but for it to keep ticking over. Yeah. This is where the musical interlude will, will happen. <laughs> Indeed. Which, which for some reason reminds me of the Pink Panther. Let's go a bit lighter now because um I think we're 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 both prone to rants. Um well, are we? <laughs> <laughs> oh shut uh, up. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, I mean um we're just changing tats a bit. I'm sure we'll get ranty again. I always do. Is there and just this is the first thing you think of or whatever comes to mind, and it doesn't have to be one thing, but is there a piece of acting on stage or screen? That you've seen that's re- really blew you away, that's always stayed with you. Where you've gone, ah, that's that's the stuff. That's it. Oh, lords, man! But for different reasons. Yeah. The go the the, the go to one for me would probably be Imelda Staunton in um, when she played Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. Um. My 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 sister's one hell of a singer, one of those little shits that can like pick up any song. And it sounds amazing. Whereas like I'm a technical singer. I've really got to think about what I'm doing. Um, and as a result of that, I think I've always been quite, it, it's what I've always found the most nerve wracking. Um, and what I loved, um, what I loved about that performance from Imelda Staunton, and I would love to know if she did it consciously. I'm sure she did, but I'd love to have that conversation with her about like how she came to that decision. And, but uh, her first song, Worst Pies in London, Wait, Mr. Todd, wait a minute. Bam, bam. Um, she was like deliberately going slightly off tune. And it was the first time I just sort of sat there going, like, Oh, that's acting through song. Oh, you don't have to be perfect. Oh, because the character would, ah, that's when I had a lot of those more like, I just, I just remember just being like awestruck by it and just thought it was wonderful. Um, I always think back to, I went to see Last of the Hossmans at the National as well. Um, I, went, I booked that because of Julie Walters, really wanted to see her, never mm-hmm. seen her on stage. And then all of a sudden there was just like this absolutely magnetic man that I'd never heard of, who was like receding, had this little tuft of hair at the front of his hair that he, like, he's playing quite an effeminate character, kept playing with it. And it was, it was Rory Kinnear. I'd never heard of him. And he was honest to God, what 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 an actor. I just just remember being mag- totally magnetized to him, couldn't take my eyes off him. Um, I then became a huge fan of his. Hands down the best Shakespeare performance I've ever seen as well. His his Iago. Just is the only man that's ever made me listen to Shakespeare for the first time and go, this sounds like he's talking my language, man. <laughs> I didn't even have to think about what he was saying, it was just so clear. Um, felt like I was in a pub with him having a pint. Um, I subsequently got to work with him in my first job, um, which was bizarre. Like, you're just sitting there. It's weird because I was very young, very inexperienced. I just wanted him to like me. And I kicked myself a little bit because I wasn't really, I wasn't, um, I wasn't calm around him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I say, please like me, please like me. Um, but he was awesome. Like, he was a really nice fella. Um, and he's one hell of an actor. If we look at the accent thing, like if you're talking idols, Sean Bean to me 
not not so much like he is a great actor, but like mm. what I really respect about him is he's the man from Sheffield. Mm. And there's a part of me wants to be the man from Cumbria. Do, do you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, yeah. That, that's really, really rang true to me. It always baffles me that he was never cast in the full Monty. Well, I mean, Robert Carlyle, fantastic actor. Oh, Blue yeah. Bunch. Awesome. But yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. But yeah, like, I, I, I mean, maybe he was just busy. Maybe I know that was doing, a, I think was, he might have been doing Sharp at that time. Maybe his schedule wasn't, couldn't open up. But you would have thought like if you're making a... I'm sure he was off at this. He must have, must have been. Or maybe he didn't want to get his kit off. Maybe, maybe. Oh no, he's he, he's he gets the kit off all. He, he was in oh, Lady no. Chatterley in the nineties. I mean, yeah, he's um, <laughs> he was one of the few men, to be fair, that would get their kit off on screen. The British oh, man well, sounds like the perfect project. Um, yeah, uh, Rory Kinnear. For anyone that's never seen any of his work, just IMDb him and look up anything and watch it. He, I think, is. He's like one of the most unappreciated, and I always say unappreciated. It's stupid. I, <laughs> I always think I'm always like oh, awards aren't important, but when there's like actors who don't get anything, I'm a bit like, oh, those are the people that should be getting the awards. So, I, I, but you know I, what is it, from what I know, Rory, like he's a good like. I, when we talk about like what is success, and so like honest to God, he does it for the work, man. Well, and that's the thing, and he's he's a, he's a really success. He's never stopped working, so he is a success. Like he he is. Absolutely, no, but I guess I guess those accolades to him, I get. I get yeah, I guess I just want to see him. Like, I don't know if you did. You watch Men? Uh, no, I haven't seen that yet. So, I mean, Men's a very, 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 very tough watch. Um, I almost threw up watching it. Oh, um, because uh, it he plays multiple roles. Um, he plays all the men on the screen. Mm. Every male character is played by him. And every male character is vastly different, um, and but unfortunately, it does it does evolve into uh, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but it evolves into body horror, which is yeah, it, it made me want to be sick. Um, I'll add it to the list. <laughs> um, I think it's on Amazon Prime at the moment for those that have it. Um, <laughs> but I I discovered him watching. Penny Dreadful, oh, and, right. and in that, so Penny Dreadful is kind of like the, uh, it's all the um, characters. So you've got like Doctor Frankenstein. You've mm. you've got uh, oh god, who else? Dorian Gray. Um, it's kind of like a supernatural Victorian set um, horror thriller thing with Ava Green's in it, uh, Timothy Dalton. It's, a, it's absolutely oh Billy Piper of course absolutely banging cast um but Rory so Rory plays Frankenstein's monster and it's like a version of that you've never seen before and the dialogue is so beautiful but his delivery of every line like it's just incredible and it's such a different take on Frankenstein's it's a very emotional take yeah. on what it's like to be created by a man and not really have parentage and and not being able to fall in love um and everything he says is just so poetic and beautiful but heartbreaking mm. um 
and then since that, yeah, I just I watch anything that he's in. Um, but uh, yeah, and did you? So, what did you have any other acting inspiration sort of growing up? Um, yeah, inspiration. I mean, like, I, um, Hugh Jackman and Neil Patrick Harris. I know it sounds really ridiculous, but no. What I loved about them, too, it's just their eclectic careers, the fact that they could do everything. Because, mm. um, I mean, like, I, that, that's really what I want. I want to I want to do a musical. I then want to do a classical. I then want to do a play. I then want to do a movie. I want to go and be in a video game. Like, you know, I, I, and, and they're the sort of people doing that for me. And it's but like doing them all well. Mm. And well from a place of, like, truth as well. That's, that's the, the big thing. It's, like, it's not like, a, oh, I'm... Like they, they don't look down on any of the mediums. They're all yeah. like equal. Boom, boom. Um, I've got loads, man. I think Elizabeth mm. Moss is amazing. Elizabeth Moss. She's oh fantastic. god, Can't yes. Tell woman. Oh, yeah. I, I, I could talk about. I could talk about this for days. <laughs> <clears throat> Richard, you're talking about underrated actors. Uh, Richard Jenkins in the states. What an actor he is. He's Brilliant. like a comedian, that man. He just every, every film he pops up in just blows me away. Mm. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, I liked him. I, I mean, he's he's been great in everything, but um, I really liked him in. It's a film I didn't like too much. Eat, Pray, Love with Julia Roberts, and he's got a role in that. But his performance in that is, yeah. No, he's astounding. Honestly, he's absolutely astounding. Um. I mean, look, if you've not watched The Good Doctor, the, the father-son dynamic and that, like, oh, the amount of times I've cried watching that. Oh, it's amazing. Like, honestly, God, brilliant. Is that a film or a TV series? That's a TV series. Um, right. It's got that Freddie Highmore, British actor. Oh, yeah. He's in it. And then the fellow who plays, like, his mentor. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but, oh, my God, what a... Ah, oh, oh. just, like, pull your heart out every episode, man. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you look at that dynamic, it's just the chemistry and everything, just awesome. So with your with your experience now, you've done, you know done a bit of screen, done some stage, um, you've done motion capture. Is there a place you feel more comfortable, or more at home, or do you just you just love it all? Um, comfort or more? I don't. It's not that I feel more comfortable. I just um. I think it's about knowing your taste, right? It's about going, right, what type of work do I want to do? Um, I probably feel like I, I probably feel more comfortable on stage just because I've got more experience in it. Um, that's where a lot of my 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 work has been. Um, but then I'm very much a physical. I'm, I'm I'm very much a physical man, so I I've got like a sort of outside in process, you could argue. Um. And I've got good control over my body, and that's how I've sort of gotten into the motion capture stuff. And that's that's kind of my specialism, really, is that the, the mocap stuff, working in virtual environments and and imagining everything and allowing that to manifest in voice and body. Um and, and, and coming back to this this idea of like computer games being my first engagement with storytelling, like that is a that is a medium that I am incredibly passionate about because it's it's one that's been raking in money for years, like like more money than the movies for years, but it's only sort of getting its respect and popularity now over the last couple of years where like the celebs are cotton on, oh, 
this is a new media and it, and it, and what I like about it and what I what I get excited about it is the fact that it encapsulates everything else from stage and TV if that makes sense it's it's very much theatre with the body but filmic with the face so it's two mediums in one and it's really bloody hard to do well um but yeah man I just I just I love it I love, I love it all man I just I, I I like the craft and I like I like seeing what is transferable between these mediums I think what excites me is this idea that the audience's perspective can change how do they receive a story depending on where they're sat in an auditorium depending on where the camera is and that's the big difference in the virtual world is that camera can be moving do you know it's not like a static camera mm. it can be so you're, you're you're effectively 360 um i mean well you know we've we've, we've, we've done a bit together haven't we it's 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 tough yeah and there's the there's i mean there's so many elements to motion capture which are challenging and you're right it does encompass a, a, a mixture of sort of theater and screen acting um and um like I, I remember when we had to do um when we had to do a scene and uh oh, i forgot all the terminology for motion capture <laughs> um performance right. capture that's what i'm looking for performance yeah. capture um for, so for the face yeah and so uh hopefully i'll get this all right i'm please correct me connor as you're the expert and i'm not but um for performance capture for the face you're wearing essentially like a crash helmet and then you've got like um an like extendable some, arm an, yeah. an extendable arm coming out of it with a camera facing you um and you have to so we i remember I had, to, I had to be in a scene where i had to be standing opposite someone but obviously you've got this extendable arm anyway so then what you're doing is you're actually standing side by side so your antlers aren't interlocking um crossing and... swords just say it <laughs> crossing swords yeah crossing the streams um and so you're having to do in like a, an almost like an intimate scene uh or something emotional or something where you need to be looking at someone's eyes but you can't be looking at someone's eyes because you can't be standing right directly in front of them so you're kind of standing to the side of them but like you could look at them with your eyes because then that'll obviously because that can be adjusted right yeah so that's the element of it being very kind of mechanical and then you have to act as if it's the most natural thing <laughs> yeah it's like acting by numbers sometimes it really is it's crazy um, um, um but that's but... what makes a good actor man being able to work under tough constraints yeah it's yeah. about it's about understanding the technical elements, but then still being able to engage the instinct mm. and the truth. And and the the whole three D thing about the camera can be constantly moving and be anywhere is also like that's an an, an element you wouldn't usually get. You might get it on a film set, um, but usually your audience is either just like in front of you because you've got your four four in theatre, or or you might be in the round. I mean, you know. Times have changed. There's a lot of things in the round these days. But that's what um, I mean about it being transferable. So it is, it's taking your experience from 360 stage in the round mm. and putting that into an empty space in a volume when you're wearing Lycra <laughs> and a helmet. <laughs> well, when you put it like that, what's not to love? <laughs> 
but it's 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 tough because it is it's all in the mind's eye yeah so it's the purest form of storytelling because it's all in the imagination i um i'm so pleased like out of um our little group that did the mocap training that you know you've you've had work from it and you've got to do really exciting things um i i was a little bit jaded afterwards um i felt like i'd paid for a very expensive showreel um and i did uh, uh what i found was i how i feel like it was sold to us was that motion capture was going to eliminate all the prejudices we've spoken about and i've spoken about on this podcast in mm. casting because in video games like you could be playing an ant or you could be playing a dragon and it doesn't matter how tall you are it doesn't matter what your accent is it doesn't matter how fat or thin you are on and on and on skin color eye color but i did find afterwards when trying to obtain more experience um that it was the same people being used or it was very hard to get yeah, into. i mean look, it's like any other it's like <laughs> knocking on doors in any medium and it's like it's yeah it's, it is a closed shop it is um but mm. it's, it's slowly opening um i don't think that stuff you've said is wrong i don't think that stuff is inaccurate um i just think at the more i think where we are now i think there is a sort of direct um i think there is a direct attempt to go more performance capture led therefore people are being cast um more so on their voice and their likeness mm. um which way again when if we come back to this representation argument in terms of like um in terms of casting appropriately, I think that is a good thing. Um if you look at sort of Plague Tale Requiem, which is set in France, they've they've cast French speaking actors. Uh, if you look at all the Assassin's Creed, it's opening up things to people from the Middle East. Um so, so I, 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 do, I do think there are good elements to that. Mm. Um I think the flexibility in my experience has come from when you have got a part you've been cast as one thing and then in that moment on the day they'll go oh we've still got these we've got these three other things that need to be done can um can you do any accents and that's where they sort of give that's where the flexibility is there for you to explore new things um in my experience but i mean in terms of like getting the work i mean when i did the vfx doubling for john snow and uh, kit harrington in game of thrones i would love to say i got that job because i was super talented I mean, I literally got that job because I had a because I had a I had footage that could prove that I could do the job, but also I was just the right measurements that I could mm. fit Kit Harrington's costume. Yeah, I am also super talented. I want to say that. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you are. I'd be, and, I'd and... be lying. Do you know what I mean? I'd be lying if I said that that my talent got me the job. It didn't. And that's what. So, if we go back to you saying earlier about how you know you've struggled with age getting agents yeah good, or good agents and i just think well here's a man who uh is involved in one of the most iconic scenes in all of game of thrones mythology um but nobody will ever know it's me no that's true so i have nothing to show for it hang on hang on i haven't finished yet i haven't finished picking <laughs> okay. him up yet you just okay. calm down sorry sorry without an agent you were on stage at the National Theatre in two different productions. And I remember at the time that, I mean, it still blows my mind. And you are very driven and you are very, um, you know, you're persistent. 
and and we all and and regardless of uh what we all you know because you're very you're very you're a very humble person um you know you don't you don't brag about what you do but you know that you're good at what you can do and i think there's a difference between being arrogant and being confident i guess uh, yeah i guess my point is that I'm, i guess i'm just upset on your behalf no no but like this is this uh, again you know the whole point of this podcast is to discuss the realities of the business and it's like you can you can be so good and you can still have things on paper to to show it and you can have things on screen and you can have a showreel and but it's that thing of it still just comes down to one person's opinion doesn't it and yeah and everybody's got an opinion ed and and actually it's because of some people's opinions that I've had the opportunities I've had. And if it wasn't for those individuals taking a chance on me and believing in me, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't, I honestly got, I would not have had the career I've had without Wendy Swan, who used to be the head of casting at the NT. Like, and it's interesting. Like a lot of a lot of students will say to me like, Oh, I don't want people to see me in my day job. So I met Wendy through NYT rep. Um, she was one of the mentors for one of the other participants. She came to see all the shows I was working on the box office at the Old Vic one day. Wendy comes in to collect a ticket. Connor, you sing, don't you? I was thinking about you the other day. You sing, don't you? Yeah, Wendy, I do. You'll hear from my assistant next week. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't been there that day, would she have maybe called me in? Who knows? I don't know. But at the same time, she then like took me under a wing. And then this is the other thing you work so hard when you are self-representing, you work so hard building these relationships, building these dialogues, and then people retire. Wendy's retired. So then you, you, you've sort of lost the connection there. People go on maternity leave. Uh, people get married. People leave the industry entirely. Mm. And that, that can be difficult because it can be one step forward, two steps back a lot of the time. Um, but also you need to remember that if, if that, um, I've had, I mean, I've had casting directors used to call me in all the time. And then all of a sudden, they don't call me in now. And they don't respond to my emails. And it's very easy to say that personally. But actually, it, that could be an umpteen. That could be umpteen reasons for that. It might even just be that right now where I am in my casting, they, they're not, they haven't got any projects for me. But I'd, I'd lie if I haven't had those thoughts where I've gone, oh, is it, did I do something wrong? Or... Uh, do, do you know you, you do start questioning those you've just got to trust that like everything's all right you've um, also just got to keep working on yourself and not worrying about other people you know like i think you might be flavor for a bit you might be called in by certain people for a certain amount of time for certain things uh, uh, and then and then the other variable is what are the stories that are trying to be told at the moment do, do yeah. you fit into those uh casting brackets anyway it's it's you know it's very it's so difficult, you know, you could, you know, there's been years where I haven't, I've had like one or two auditions. Oh, mate, because, on average, because... I get one maybe four months. It's not a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Like, yeah. it all depends on what, what's being made at the time. And that yeah. is constantly changing um, on stage and on screen. Um, but um, yeah, I just, I just think I've got a lot of respect for you, Connor. I think like you've done, like you say, you've done a lot of things and um you've had you've had to work doubly hard to get them and you should be proud man i think it's it's awesome no, i am i'm super i'm super proud um 
it is that thing. I, do, I look at my CV and I often think, do you know what? If I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I'd die happy, man. Like, well, if someone offered you that when you were starting out, when you just wanted to be an actor and said, you can oh, have all these oh, things now, you'd honestly, bite, bite the hand off, wouldn't bits. you? Absolutely chuffed to bits with what I've achieved. But I guess that, that's the frustrating thing. Isn't it? Like there, there are a lot of people who look at you and go, well, you should be happy you've done it. Now, I'm not talking about happiness in terms of fulfillment, but they should like there's multiple things here isn't it there's like i look at it as like talent development right I, I feel like there's not enough talent development and that that goes for all departments i'm not just talking about actors here i'm talking about writers i'm like if, i mean look right now what we were the first time writers that are getting main stage shows just it's not happening it's really not happening. Um, and it's almost like it's almost like it's a conveyor belt at the moment of like, okay, that person's had a couple of shows there, right? On with the next one. Do, do you know do you know what I'm saying? It's like like if I look at the NT, it's like they got me in as an understudy, they got me in as an ensemble understudy. And then I went in and I did a part and understudy. And then it's like I'm out the door. Now, whatever. I'm not like it's I'm not, there's no bitterness here. I'm just like imagine, imagine there's then a process of right. He then gets a lead. Uh, sorry, he then gets a, a, a part and understudy lead. Then he gets a lead. If it was like a, if it was like a tier system where like you build people up, mm. um, but unfortunately, the only the with the demise of rep, and I do I do think that is a bad thing. With the demise of rep, there there isn't really that structure in place anymore. Um, and the only the only companies that can really probably afford to do that are places like the RSC or the National. Mm. And I do believe they're doing their best. I'm not saying that they're not trying, but I just don't think I worry about the sustainability of young actors' careers because we are oversaturated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and this is why I think you have to multi you have to multi diversify now yeah. because you, you you can't make a career from one strand. You just you, it's just it's not it's not realistic. No. Um. I also want to pick up on what you said about modesty earlier. You said, oh, you're really modest. Um, and I've been thinking about that a lot, particularly this last year. Um, I think that modesty has hindered me. And I think that comes from a working class chip of, I mean, I was taught to be modest. I was mm. taught like you don't, you don't rub things in people's faces. And actually, I think that stopped me from taking up space. I think that stopped me from, saying to people what well, I am good I am really good at what I do um, and that's something I'm really trying to address that's something I'm really trying to challenge I think, I, we, I think we all need to um, and I think yeah. I think it's it's it is going up in a British society where you are sort of like encouraged not to well as I not brag obviously bragging is 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 a negative thing I think but um you're told you're bragging if you're saying you're good at something or you're to, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying you're good at something. Exactly. You're not saying bag you're, away, away. You're, enjoy you're, your achievements. You're not saying, well, yeah, I, I mean, it's a bit like, I don't really, I, don't, I, I try not to um, isolate our audience, but there's a, there's a thing at the moment happening in football with a celebration police. And it's, and it's like, probably because it's my team that's happening. <laughs> but, but it's like, you know, win a match, play or score a goal, and people are like, oh, my God, they're acting like they've just won a World Cup. It's like, when did celebrating something positive become a bad thing? 
No, what, what is happening here? Like, I agree. You know, and so it's got to be the same in the arts. Like, we've got to celebrate our wins. We've got to celebrate, like, I, 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 I celebrate getting to the final two for an audition for something. All right, I didn't get the part, but my God, I got to the final two. That's a big thing. That must yeah. mean I have something here that people want to see that that must you know that must mean i'm on the right road if i'm getting contacted by someone i did a casting for eight or nine years ago and they want to see me for something because they remembered me all the way back then that must mean i'm doing something right absolutely so and and there aren't there isn't anything in the industry because we don't we like you know that's that's constant you don't always get feedback after an audition you don't get told why you don't get a role so it's very difficult to improve um, on what you might have done. I mean, and... I, I've had it, I had it quite recently, the feedback thing <clears throat> from a, and this is as a director. Um, I interviewed for a company and they gave me some feedback, um, which was sort of counterproductive to other feedback I'd had from previous interviews. Hmm. And I didn't really understand what they meant. And so again, the modest me would just go, oh, suck it up, don't bother. But actually in that moment, I went, you know, I've kind of had enough of this. Because and I really feel for directors, man. We think we think it's we think rejection's tough as actors. Directors, man, having to pitch stuff, having to go in and into the amount of prep time it takes. Honestly, it's insane. Like, and it's and then you get like really generic feet. It's really I feel for them. Like, if you if you look at the stuff that they mourn about on Twitter, they are they are well justified as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I went back to them. I was like, look, can you clarify this X Y? And, and I, I was I was really sort of blunt in my response. Um. Again, that's me challenging that modesty of going and, and actually, and then I got a great email back. It makes so much more sense. I'm like, right, okay, so we can move forward now. We know what we can improve on. Yeah. And I get it, it's it's hard to have the time to give everybody feedback. But um like in in projects that I've my own projects I've been in charge of when I've had to cast people or um I ran my own scratch night um uh last year. Was it last year or year before? Can't even remember now. Um so when you know if people ask for it i won't volunteer it because of time it's very hard mm. to give everybody but if people come back and say oh i didn't get the role or you know you didn't accept my pitch like what was it then i will take the time out and you know it might not be immediately but i will get yeah. back to people oh absolutely no i don't expect immediate responses and i just think on the whole proviso of the yes no if you're going to commit to that stuff you kind of got to follow through <laughs> but yeah. uh, there you are do you remember what it's like getting your headshots done for the first time? Oh God! <sighs> um, I, so me and another lad, because it was we couldn't have bloody afford them. Sheila Burnett, I don't know if you have seen. She was like an old school photographer, like black and white. Um, she did like a two person offer, so I went and we went and did that because it was like the cheapest. Yeah. Um, and like they were not not dismissing her work or anything like that. Like they were great. But they just—they never worked for me. Um, made me too handsome. Um, <laughs> oh, but this is honest to God, man. The headshots—they've been the bane of my life. People say they're so important. I don't know if I agree, man. I honestly don't, because the best headshots I've ever had were free, which mm. were done by a fella who just like was a photographer, was like a portrait, like lifestyle photographer on Instagram. Did it as a hobby. He lived near me. Uh, I messaged him at the time. Was like, look, I need something that's like every agent's telling me I need something raw, whatever that means. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, how do you capture rawness in a photo? I just don't really get it. Mm -hmm. 
I'm like, I'm, I'm, look, I'm not, I'm not very vain, am I? Ed? I guess is the best way of putting it. But like, I just, I don't like having my photo taken to begin with. Um, I don't. I mean, I do care about my appearance and the fact that I, I like to dress nice. I like to like be well groomed and stuff. But I don't give a shit what people think about how I look. <laughs> I genuinely don't like. If you think I'm good looking, if you think I'm not, like whatever, man. Like just, and the fact that you then put in a position where you sort of got to capture that. Mm. Um, but yeah, the best ones I've ever had, hands down. By a, they were free, didn't pay a penny. By a fellow who did it for a hobby. So, you tell me if they matter. Um, and I've spent hundreds of pounds on others. Like I have, like I've, 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 I've spent hundreds and like upwards of a thousand pounds probably over the years. Um, and I have just booked some more in for the new year because my agent, my now agent, wants me to get some new ones. And nice. Honestly, I'm just sitting there going like, "What will be, will be." I'm not going to stress about them. As long it's, as they look like you. As long as you, when you walk in that room, they're not shocked by who's turned up. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. And and these days, and I see on Spotlight, and I see in in the, like you know, or people's pictures online, like so overly um, airbrushed. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, I can't stand that's that. That's like, yeah. It's like you say, casting want to see that picture walk into the room, and if that's not the picture, then it's it's really bad, like representing yourself in a, in that way. I mean, also, um, I see a lot where people are like trying to play different characters, and I'm not entirely sure how useful that is. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's I I I've, I've, I don't know if I've seen it work either. Um. I feel like it works for TV casting. Do you reckon? Because, I mean, I think... when I graduated drama school, mate, my agents at the time, everybody was saying to me, TV, TV, TV. I've only just had my TV debut 10 yeah. years down the line. Do you know what I mean? And I, I, don't, I don't really get it. <laughs> but I can only talk from my experience. You know what I mean? It's... Yeah, but I mean, you know, a picture's a, a picture, well... Yeah, no, no, I, I do feel a picture's not going to get you apart. Um, you know, a still image of you is is really not. Uh, you know, people like what they. Well, some you know some casting directors do cast like that, and you know, they'll call in X amount of people for a role because obviously they want to see that you can do it. They can trust you Ooh. with this. You know, this money. Yeah, go on. What I will say for any actors listening, and I because I didn't know this until maybe five years down the line. But the way your the way your picture appears on Spotlight when you submit is actually as a thumbnail. Yeah. And th this was I found this really helpful. So actually, when you are looking at your headshots, you should look at them as thumbnails, like really small pictures rather than like the large 10 by 8 or whatever it is. Um, and ultimately, because ultimately you want something that's going to catch an eye mm. in that size. Um, I did find that advice really useful. So I will pass that on. Yeah, that's great advice. Um... Just while I remember it. Think of your head as a thumbnail. Yeah. Very, that's very thumb. <laughs> that's yeah. A thumb. thumb with eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I could probably do that. Yeah, I so could I. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, but I was gonna say with headshots, like it's all about photographers you're working with. But yeah, I've 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 spent money and I've had three ones. I mean, I, I worked with a guy once who um <laughs> the only people we ever photographed were mm. topless women for like nuts magazine and and um back in the day and uh, it was someone i i worked with but i was like 
would you ever do like actors headshots <laughs> would you be comfortable with like me keeping my clothes on um and yeah. uh he was like yeah we'll give it a go you know just if you just pay for the space which was like 50 quid to rent the, the studio um and i came out great <laughs> like you know was, yeah sometimes yeah you just don't know but it's about working with the right people as well um as I said before, I'm not particularly comfortable with the whole. I don't go in there and I have like a variety of poses that I pull on very much. Like I like to just chat with whoever's taking the pictures, and hopefully they capture some of me through the chat. And then yeah, absolutely. That 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 would be. It shouldn't be dopamine. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't stress you out, man. You just no, no. I just think try and just needs to look like you. That's that's the only thing I would say. Yeah, yeah. I've been told by that by lots of casting directors that as long as it looks like you. Um, but I do, yeah, I do like a little bit of character. I, I, with my last bunch of headshots, I tried not to have every pitch to be like a different character, but just to sort of capture a bit of a, a, a bit of a mood. Like I got thinking about my casting type um, and what and sort of roles I might be able to be put up for. Um, but again, with all, with all the will of the world, with all the advice you get, you can speak to your agent, you can speak to your peers about what you might look like, what kind of character you kind of play. As we said, it will come down to one person's opinion. <laughs> and whether they go, yeah, he looks like a dodgy cop or... Yeah. You know, I think I think that's really important. I say that to a lot of my students, just about opinions, like in terms of whose opinions you care about, mm. get, like, like keep that small because everybody's got an opinion. Yeah, you won't please everybody. So, um, yeah, you need to keep your circle of trusted people small. How did the COVID pandemic affect you creatively? Oh, brill. Um, not COVID, brill. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the no. Do you know what? It came at a time when I needed it. Um. I was very much in a place of burnout, I think. Um, and it's also where I sort of had the biggest refocusing of energy in my career, where I was able to like realign, refocus. Um, and I will go into more detail just to flesh that out. Um, so I think it, it just contextually speaking, um, if I go back to when I was at the National um I at the time I trained with NT Learning to be a facilitator, and then from that, the head of um, the education team there went over to the Vic, and they got me in to teach for our schools club program. Um, so that's when I started going into schools in inner city London. And no, delivering that's the old program. that's the old Vic theatre, right? Yeah, that's the old Vic, the old Vic school program. Um, so I started going around uh, teaching for them, facilitating for them, um, and th so this is where my sort of teaching work started kicking off a little bit. And I'd already um, been dabbling in like developing my own sort of movement practice. Um, and then I became like an associate for NYT. I did a big push for Cumbria because I found out that they were no longer going to Cumbria in their intake auditions. So a national, a company that has a national remit just stopped going to an entire region. So I, I, I kicked up a big fuss about that. Uh, started delivering workshops up here. Uh, started doing the intake auditions up here. Um, and then in my personal life, um, we had a major sort of bereavement, um, within the family. Um, so we were dealing with a lot of that. It was very sudden. Um, 
And then I got dropped by my then agent at the time. It was like everything was falling apart. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't coping with the stress of it, I guess. And I was like, I was really struggling with crowds, like large groups of people. Um, I am very introverted. Um, I like recharge on my own. Um, but uh, COVID happened around that time. Uh, and that's when I was, I was doing like CBT and stuff like that to sort of help me with that. Um, and I had this ongoing shoulder issue. This was a big, and I'd, I was like trying everything. I, I was like doing physios, doing like all the things you meant to do. And um, I've got an older friend called Alwyn May, a wonderful colleague, wonderful mentor, wonderful woman. She just turned around to me. She's like, well, what, have you, why don't you try acupuncture? And I'm a man from the West, man, from the North. I'm like, what? All that Eastern woo-woo magic? Nah. <laughs> like never considered it. Never considered it. Um, but I went on her rec. She gave me a fellow and I went on his recommendation. And I'm getting acupuncture for the first. This is just before we went into lockdown. Mm. And I'm leaving and I'm like, I'm just in the strand. I couldn't stop laughing. It was bizarre. I was just like, I've been put with these needles and I'm just laughing away. And uh, oh, in the session, he'd started doing a little bit of Qigong with me. Um, and I remember dabbling in that at drama school. And I remember like being like, oh, yeah, I used to enjoy this. Oh, this is in okay, yeah. And so the next week I went back and said, Oh, do you have any like recommend like any recommendations that I could like maybe get a bit more in like information on that stuff? And he's like, Oh, my my, my wife's a Qigong teacher, she's uh, she's written a book. Why don't you read that? And so he told me about his wife, his Mimi Qodima, uh, Qigong and the Tai Chi Axis. So I went away, I read this book, I'm doing all this stuff with him. And then at the time we got, we went into, um, I got a tax rebate back. And so like professionally, not, I felt like I felt very stagnant. I felt like I wasn't moving forward. And so with this tax money, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do something for me. Like I've, I've been going through like a stressful time. I'm really interested. I'm, I'm getting kind of into this sort of holistic Eastern practice thing. Um, but I was also acutely aware of the lack of care in the industry. Um, and I'm talking pastorally, pastorally there. Like, you leave drama school, that's it, you're out. You never hear from them again. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and I mean, like, this is a few years on from there, but, I, but I'd always been, like, looking back on this, going, like, where's the care? Like, you're not, you, you get very little closure when you're applying for these jobs. There's lots of rejection. I was like, where is the care? Um, and so, like, getting into this mindfulness and this, like, the yoga and the chugong, I was sitting there going, like, this, I, I kind of want to do this um, not just for myself, but like I, I could fuse this in my movement practice, in my teaching work, in order to like hopefully provide a little bit more pastoral care. Got this tax rebate, and I said to the, my acupuncturist, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of considering maybe doing a yoga course. And he's like, oh, Mimi's about to teach one. They're going to do this Taoist flow, where it's like fusing it with Qigong. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. So um, I, I, I signed up to that, started doing that, went and trained with his wife. And it, I did it over a year. So it's like five modules. Um, so it was like part time, which was great. Fit in with like everything else meant I didn't have to like take out loads of time. Um, but then obviously the COVID pandemic hit. hit. And so during that time, like, I think I'd done two modules in person. I had to do the rest of it all online. Mm. Um, but it gave me, what COVID did is it gave me the time to like reset. And it gave me the time to like just focus all my energy on this. Now, we were in the fortunate position that we were furloughed, weren't we? So, like, we didn't really have to worry about money, which was great. Um, that is one thing I'll say about 
often. They've been bloody good employers to us. They have. They've been amazing. Like they pay us well. Free therapy. Like you can't, you can't. In terms of that shit, I think they've been wonderful to us, and they deserve that credit. Um, but yeah, no, I like absolutely. Like just gave me the time to focus on like all the reading material. Gave me all the time to like do the self practice. Um, during lockdown, I was doing like practice classes for you lot, wasn't I? Um, getting lots of mates into like who were like giving up their time. I was giving them like free lessons. You were then giving me feedback on my teachings. Um, it just gave me an opportunity to reset and rebalance. And it also gave me an opportunity to catch up on all the computer games and the films and the TV that I'd missed. And I was really treating it like the retirement that I know I will never get. Mm. So I tried to enjoy it for what it was worth. Um, and because I had a focus during that time, I, th- I think that's why I didn't mind it at all. Um, but in terms of that Qigong stuff, like, there's so much of that that I've taken on that I really take into my practice. Like it's like they talk about working to a two third effort level. You never work to a three third effort level. Otherwise you'll experience burnout. You're giving too much effort. So two thirds effort level. If you're ill or you're injured, one third effort level. So now if I'm like approaching auditions, I'm like, I'll give it two thirds of my effort, which is a hundred percent of my work ethic, effort, but I'm leaving that third for me. Mm. And, and you, I, I encourage everybody to leave that for themselves. Like watch that film, play that computer game, go to that dance class, go to that concert, do the things that make you, you. Start a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> where, where do you get your fulfillment? And Honestly, the response I get to my from my students when I do this Qigong stuff with them, like it, it's it's all about mindfulness. It's all about everything in moderation. They, it, it's all about um, finding the stillness in movement, movement in stillness. It's like it's like this idea like yin and yang. It's dude, it's changed my life, man. Like it's it's made me a calmer person. Um, it's made me a tolerant, like a much more tolerant person, a, a much more patient person. Um. So yeah, for me, COVID was all, and actually, I think what's in the intro, it wasn't. I know you're saying creatively, but that that has informed so much of my creativity. Mm-hmm. That has informed so much of my practice, and it's also given me an expertise that when I was approaching drama schools, going like, "Look, I want to teach." Like, I'm given something different now as well, mm-hmm. um, and the students really, really respond to it. Like, and it, it, it's often the lads that you can tell have like never done any holistic movement in their life. They're the ones coming up to me going, oh, I'm really enjoying this. Because it's, I think it's because it's martial in practice because they can recognize that it's got like the, the Tai Chi elements. Um, yeah, for those of you not familiar with Qigong, it's, it's one, of the, one of the five pillars of Chinese medicine and it's martial in practice. Um, qi means life energy, Gong means to cultivate. So we're cultivating life energy, um, which is this, which is what I liken to like that electric, exciting feeling in the body during performance and i mean honestly if, if i'm nervous if i'm shitting my pants for an audition do a bit of that oh i'd never understood the term grounding really at drama so you know what i mean like people are like oh yeah i'm really grounded then i started doing qigong like that's what they meant this is grounded oh mm. so like everything's going into the floor man so you're oh it's amazing so that was my experience of covid I, I, I've been asking this question in every episode and I feel like I've sort of come to the conclusion that although it's a very, 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 very hard time for almost everybody, 
um, those that weren't having parties in parliament mm. houses. Um, I feel like, and, 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 and as creatives, as we were told to basically go and get a real job, um, I, I, I get the sense that my peers, my creative peers have really benefited from this time even though there would have been very, very, very hard things to get through. I mean, we we suffered a loss, and as many people did. Um, and um, But I feel like it sort of was stepping stones to something else that is giving creatives now such fuel. And, but, I mean, a, a part of that is that having, having everything sort of taken away from us, not being able to go to the theatre, not being able to create theatre, not being able to go and make your film go to the cinema um you know unless you're doing voiceover you weren't doing many creative things um so but i think that's what it's added it's added that fuel now that people are really like we almost lost it all you know and um and there was a what well, there was you know there was times for many of us where we thought what if this doesn't come back um so I feel like it's sort of realigned a focus for people now. Yeah, yeah, for good and bad. I mean, you look at the amount of technical theatre people that have now just left completely, mm. um, which is a shame. But at the same time, maybe that's the, maybe that was the refocusing that they needed. Maybe they wanted some more stability. I think that's where it's, it's challenged the stability, right? It's yeah, definitely. Yeah, this could be gone in an instant and. Well, it's made every, hopefully it's made everybody in the business, you know, between theatre and film and motion capture, reevaluate everything. Because um, we had a lot of time to think. <laughs> yeah, people, people are thinking about their values and what matters to them. And mm. Motion capture, what would you advise for anyone that wants to get into motion capture and can you speak very briefly about that big game you're a part of <laughs> oh, that came out this year um, watching watching my social media that day seeing so many people i know being like i can finally say and i was like oh my god <laughs> somebody, somebody else from one of your podcasts mentioned about all the ndas they've got to sign it's, <laughs> it's very true and it's like just yeah if you ever sign an nda people do not say anything because you will be sacked particularly especially in the game industry like no oh, yeah they will let you go instantly and it's just not worth the risk like don't even tell your mom don't tell your gran um so like uh, yeah more more caps it's, it's getting more popular is the one thing i want to say so yeah i would love to say getting in is quite easy but it's not it's probably getting harder where should people start then where do, where do they need to go there's, again there's no right or wrong realm into it it's mm -hmm. i got into it because i wrote to imaginarium i wrote to andy circus's company and i was like look i'm really interested in this stuff where do i go to learn about it and that's when um, i found out about the mocap vaults um which is where I, I went and did their whole curriculum i got ed along to a few classes i got a few um other mates involved um and i'm very look i'm very much a working class lad right i'm not going to sit there and like the beauty of this industry is you never stop learning but I'm not going to tell you, you need to go and pay for all these classes. Like ultimately, the only person that gets to decide what you're willing to invest in and how much you're willing to do is, is you. Do you know what I mean? 
And I really did make the conscious choice that I was interested in this work and I wanted to invest in it. And it Ed's right, it was expensive. Um, but what I can say is that I broke even on my first job and now I've made more than a profit. So business-wise, it, it, was, it was a sensible decision. <laughs> like it's made me really employable. Um, you've got the Mocap Vaults, you've got the Performance Capture Academy, both run by fantastic teachers. Um, if you're interested in sort of like creature bionic work, um, which I am and I've not yet done, um, there's a fella called Ace Rule um, who doesn't know me. I haven't crossed paths with them, but I know they're like, that's like their, 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 their field. And um, I could highly, re- like, I, 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 I mean, I can't highly recommend, I've never worked with them, but what they do looks awesome. He's got but, such a, his reputation has grown very quickly. Yeah. And he, he, uh, I sort of had an interaction with him over Facebook a few years back, uh, when I was still searching for like mocap stuff. And I was like, and he was talking about all the work he'd been doing. I was like, how did you, how, 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 how did you? And it was like, honestly, honestly, I think similar, I think he just started making his own things. He said, (laughs) he he said he got in touch with the Imagineer through LinkedIn. (laughs) No, but I mean, look, this is the thing. I think, I think if people have the time, I think they're very happy to be approached. Yeah, yeah. And again, this comes back to the idea of like, if you don't get response, don't take it personally. Chances are they've just not mm. had the time to digest it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Imaginarium were brilliant. They got in touch with me, told me where to go. Um, in terms of how you get into it, like, so yeah, those are the sort of companies that like, they will teach you the skills. They will help you get footage. Um, and the skills are important. Like it, it, it's really noticeable when somebody walks into a studio having never acted in that medium before because it is so alien because you have nothing literally like get used to working with nothing <laughs> like there's no set like you don't have costume on like so you've, you've kind of got to imagine every ounce of detail um and your audience will make that your audience will read a story based on every decision that you make whether that is a conscious decision or an unconscious decision so you then need to be really clear on the question and this is what i would always ask you to question in any work you do are you telling the right story um and performance size matters and what i mean by that is um your naturalism on film and tv doesn't read Mm. so if you think you're performing at like say a four out of ten on a scale of largeness you're going to need to up that to at least a six or seven. Um, It follows very similar principles to puppetry. If we don't heighten the breath in the human body, the animated body will look inanimate. So little tricks of the trade there is you can shift the weight between the feet. You can allow the shoulders to rise and fall. You can move the head from side to side as if you're scanning the room back to center. Um, that will make much more sense in a physical room, but I, I'm just trying to throw out some little tips there. Um, and then in terms of how you get into it, there are multiple multiple routes. I know people who have gotten into it through puppetry. I know people who are fight experts and they get into it through that means. Mm. I know people who um, are voice artists. That, that's probably the most common way is you become a voiceover artist, you get a job voicing a computer game, and from there you might be asked to do the motion or performance capture. Um, I am not a voice expert. That is something that I am currently now investing in, where I'm doing lots of classes in voiceover to try and get better at that side of things. Um, I'm the movement guy. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm good with the body. I'm good at 
looking at an I'm good at looking at animation and saying, right, does this voice feel like it is um, connected with the body? Is it into, is it an integrated performance? Um, and then Ed's so um, Ed's talking there about the game that I'm working. So I, I I got a job at Pit Stop uh, Productions, working as a performance director for them. So um, my job is basically to be the go-between between the animator and the actor on the, the physical uh, storytelling. And then I will always be with a voice director. The voice director is then focusing on the, the, the voice. <laughs> so you, you've effectively got two directors in the room. Um, the game I was working on was Baldur's Gate 3, um, which is just one game of the year. Um, and we've won umpteen awards and... It's, I mean, the people have been working on this project for over four years. Um, the amount of effort that has gone into it has been insane. And I've only been on it for a year and a half, but I've just, I cannot tell you how proud I am to have been a part of it. I cannot tell you how much I've learned being on it. Um, it's just, it's been, it's been eye-opening and it's, it's, I just, I, I think it's the future, man. I really do. I think this medium is going to take over storytelling on the whole. I think you're going to see it. You're going to see so many crossovers across different genres, different mediums. The possibilities are endless with it, man. It's exciting. It's really, really exciting. Oh, uh, footage. I wanted to come to footage um, when I was talking about how do people get into it. Again, when I'm talking about modesty, this is something that like, I noticed that people who are very vocal on Twitter tend to do very well. And I'm like, I kind of wish I went to Twitter with this, but I didn't. <laughs> so back in the day when I was self-representing, I had like my show reel, I had my mocap reel. And I think I was like, you were only allowed five minutes on your page, but you could upload 20 minutes to like your account. And I think I was like five minutes and five seconds, or I was like five seconds over. It was, in, it was like ridiculous. So I got in touch with Spotlight and I kicked up quite the fuss. I was like, oi, without saying oi. <laughs> A polite I like, oi. <laughs> well, I was like, look, I was like, I'm not paying for another Apple uh, Apple iCloud. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I don't want, why can I upload 20, but then I can only show five? I was like, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, I self-represent. I'm dependent on this footage. Then I got a response from them going, well, casting directors tell us they only watch more. They don't really watch more than two minutes or something. And I went by, I was like, I'm not arguing that. I am arguing the fact that different, that we have different casting directors for different mediums. I am arguing on behalf of people who multidiscipline. For example, Jessica Jeffries, casting director in games. She wants to see a mocap reel. She wants to see that you've worked in a volume. She wants to see that you've got control over your body. She wants to see that you can act. Versus somebody like Gary Davey, film and TV. He might want to just see a standardized um, show reel where he's seeing you react to somebody, where he's seeing you act naturalistically, where he's seeing you do a couple of different genres maybe. Versus an MD on a musical show might want to see your singing reels versus voiceover directors and, and, and people in, in, in commercials want to hear your voice reels. Does this make sense? 100%. And then when, then when, then when but honestly, I, I scream about this. I think footage, I would not have gotten the work I've gotten without footage. And it's like, because it backs up my claim. When I'm approaching people unrepresented and I'm going, I can do this. If I can prove it, then they're going to go, all right, cool. Rather than just being like, please give me a go. Um, but then I also made the point, I was like, what about the combat? What about the combat specialists from East 15? They're graduating every year. What are you saying to them if they can't show you a video of them with sword and dagger? What are you saying to the people who horse ride? 
film yourself or if you've got special skills man film them mm. if you if you parkour parkour film it if you dance film it and the the, the big thing to the, the big the big thing i would say if everybody's like oh that's too much people are casting directors are autonomous human beings they will pick and choose what they want to watch so if they know they're looking for something specific e.g jessica knows she's looking for somebody who can do more cap she will choose to watch your more cap read <laughs> if she wants to see more she'll watch something more or something different yeah i just look it's there like if you can film it film it and um, such excellent <clears throat> advice connor thank you so much no my pleasure man I, get, I do get really passionate about that i can see and i love it i love it what part of acting do you love, Connor? Oh, God. This is a tough question, man. I love the fact that you never stop learning. I love the fact that like, you could still be doing it until the day you die. Uh, I love the rehearsal process. If I question why, when I'm saying to you, like, question why you do it, like, I just love making work. Um, I kind of don't care what capacity that is in. Um. Oh god! I just yeah, just I don't know. Just, oh, I love it when I love the fact that it makes me question. Mm. When like the things that I love the most are the things where I leave asking more questions than when I went in. Keeps you curious, doesn't it? Yeah, but also like they, 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 they can, you can change opinions, man. Like I love things that explore the grey. Mm. Yeah. And what part of acting do you not love? Oh, <laughs> more the politics, I guess. It's, it's the, the, there's like a weird, there's like a weird seeking of approval. Mm. Um, and I, I don't quite have my thoughts articulated around this, but it's not that, it's not that I need it, but it's that like you, you're weirdly always chasing it because that's partly with what comes with the industry because you're constantly looking for the next gig. Um, yeah it's hard to switch off isn't it even I find sometimes even amongst peers actually even on this podcast I've been intimidated by talking to and I know most of the people I've been interviewing but a, a couple of times I felt a little bit I, mean, hope, it's not, I, hope, I hope they still like me after this you know yeah, it's yeah. It's well I mean that was my Rory Kinnear thing yeah I hope you like me it's stupid and I um, can't I can't tell you where that comes from um, but I do feel like it is a result of how things are set, set up in the industry. How the, the you know, the, yeah, no, I think that's the right place. You know, which is this idea of like you until you're in a position of power, until you're getting like regular work, you you you're almost like begging all the time. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's like yeah, even though you've got something to offer, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. You're constantly you're sort of grasping at fog. And do you have a funny or cringeworthy audition story? Oh, man. I'm going to share two with you. Um, Good. <laughs> my very first audition out of drama school was for Les Mis. Wow. Um, oh, maybe it's god awful. So uh, do, you, do you remember Angelo? from? Of course. Um, so Angelo's one of our Filipino friends. And... Um, there was a major tsunami in the Philippines. Um, 
And so the, the Filipino community um, banded together to put on like this um, concert. And it was at the theatre where Les Mis is. And um, they asked me to do it. So the Filipino community gave me my first job, effectively. Um, and it was I had a great time. And in that show, we were, we were going to sing Widoy from um, Miss Saigon. And so I went to, the, I then got an audition in the theatre for Les Mis. So I, go, I walk into this theatre and I, we're about to be on doing the concert that weekend. So I got to get on the stage a little bit sooner to like, be like, oh, I'm going to be here on the weekend. But it's like the two people were like in the auditorium, pitch black. So you're on stage for first round. Give my music to the MD. And they're like, what are you going to sing for us? I gave them two options. Like, uh, uh, do Boudoy. And obviously I'm shitting my pants head, man. Like my backside's coming out the bottom of me. And I start singing it. And all of a sudden I start singing, I'm, I, start, uh, I start singing the harmony line that I'm going to be doing in the show the following weekend. <laughs> and then uh, and then I noticed that I've done that and then I start like I start thinking about like how do I get back onto the tune and then I start getting the words wrong and then I'm like right you've got to keep going uh, and I start I start ad-libbing really badly and it's like and then you then you like hear all the words that you say I'm like that's not even close it's not even close to what it's meant to be and I ended up stopping and I was just like Really sorry. Thank you for your time. Got my sheet music left. Oh, bless you. Absolutely mortified. Um, but that one I can look back on and smile now and go, that was just inexperience. That was nerves. But um, the best one I got. So we're about to do um, the old Vicar doing just for one day, aren't they? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I got called in for that that director. Is it? Oh, wow. He called me in for. Um, something that he was doing at the Hope Mill a number of years ago. I'm going back maybe five years or so. Oh, okay. And I sat down, and he's like cracking away to us. And he's like, oh, I like your glasses. And I'm like, oh, cheers, man. Yeah, Bailey Nelson. And I like talking about my glasses. And it's one of, it's it's so innocuous because it's one of these things where I'm looking back on it now going like, oh, you knobhead. <laughs> I've since... Uh, I've since come across it like he's like he came up on Twitter or whatever one of these things I saw his photo and I'm like look this is like two years down the line I'm like he was wearing the same glasses it's like he was making a joke <laughs> and it just sort of sums up the fact that like my eyes aren't great and so I just didn't twig and it's like oh my god and like part of me is like do you know what if I see him around the building at any point I'm gonna have to try to make amends because oh man it's just so daft. But uh, again, and actually, weirdly, that was like, oh, that's sort of wound me up more. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, that ties into that thing you were saying about like always feeling like you have to impress. You know, yeah. that, you, you know to him, of... like he probably wasn't even bothered. He probably, he probably wasn't. No, bothered. no. But now I'm like, oh, was that like his attempt at like seeing my humor? And I've just like totally bulldozed him. I don't, I've God knows. <laughs> yeah. And how do you deal with rejection? Cool, yeah. Um, reject, like, so look, I can, uh, rejection, I feel like, is one of those things you, you get used to, you grow skin. Hmm. Um, I, I, ultimately, I think, I think you, you need to sit there and you need to look at like, what have you got control over? Um, with... I've gotten quite good now at going right. Look, when I audition, as long as I have done, as long as I have done myself, as long as I can leave and go, I am proud of what I have done. I've done my job. 
Um, and I think that's the beauty of self tapes and things now is you've got more control in that, in that realm that you can, you can put something in that you're proud of. Um, likewise, I would say if you're doing multiple tapes, like give yourself a limit, otherwise you'll, you'll drive yourself insane. Um, again, if you keep your circle small, if you want people's feedback on it, um, reject, I, I find rejections harder when there's no closure. I find that harder. Like if I get a no, I'm like, cool, I can sort of move on with my life. Um, weirdly, sometimes I forget about things and then it, then it's good news. That That's often happened where when I've finally forgotten about something, it, it comes up roses. Um, it's difficult because, I mean, look, my whole career has been like last two. You, you were so, we loved you, but... Um, and it's always really silly things like um, I didn't get a job recently because the other they they thought the other person um, there's a there was a point in the story where a character if a character a character gets the black eye um, and they went with the other person because they thought the audience would feel more sorry for them than me that that was like a bizarre thing where I'm just like well surely if I'm doing my job right they're gonna empathize with me yeah that doesn't make any sense that's terrible feedback I'm sorry. Um, I mean, no, I, I, I get it. I'm like, but it's just to, to, that's when I put my director hat on and I'm like, I just want the best actors, man. In, in yeah, that scenario, yeah. I, I just want the people who are going to make me feel the most or are going to tell that story the clearest. I'm not, I'm not looking at their aesthetic for that. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's yeah, because to me, that they're basically saying based on how the other person looks, whoever that person is, they're going to feel more sorry for that person than, yeah. than, than you. And that just does bullshit. I had it recently with um, Hal Chambers. I um, I got quite close to um, one of his productions recently, and I really respected him for this, which is why I'm, I'm naming it. Um, I went in and he was like, "Look, went in for the recall," and he's like, "Look, we love you. That's why you're here." He's like, "But um, I just want to be honest with like this is where I am as a director," and he was really transparent with me. He's like, "We've got you. If we go with you, we're telling the story of this young book who's like trying to set up their career," and he's like, "The other person we're seeing." like 50s plus so like we're talking like 20 30 years older than me mm. and he says um if we go with them then we're, it's like last chance salute do you know what I, and i do you know what, the pressure that took off me where i just went oh cool well then it's just down to like how he wants to tell the story sweet and i didn't sadly i didn't get it but i know why and i know it wasn't because of me mm. Does that make sense? It was just, it's just yeah. the direction they wanted to take that story. Um, it's, yeah, it's really true. You've got to try and not take things personally. Um, and I think that gets easier with auditions. Um, but then, like, like, why? Like, I got an, during COVID, I got an audition for Boys in the Boat that's coming out, the, the George Clooney film. Wow. Like, I never, I knew I was never going to get, I don't, it's like based on a true story. I didn't look remotely like the fella. That, that was up, up, up for so I was never going to get it but I tell you now the like best tape I've ever sent in honestly I think it's the best tape I've ever done I'm like and again this is where I'm talking about being proud I'm like I've submitted that and hopefully one day down the line that office gets me in again amazing as long yeah. as in, you, I mean you hope that they've watched it you hope that it's been seen that it's been received Um, but I was proud I'm so bloody proud of that you know what I mean it's, you've just got to what, what, what can you take control of it? Mm. And do you have a preparation ritual 
before you do any acting? Are you superstitious at all? Not superstitious, no. For me, it's just about finding that grounding, getting into a headspace where I feel confident, where I feel solid in what I'm going to present. So I do that. I do an exercise called wild horse shaking. Um, it's a Qigong thing where you drill into the floor through the heels and you allow the natural bounce between your body and the earth to like work its way up the body. Um, and you're basically, sh you're basically shaking the body. Um, but I find it really relaxing. I find it really calming. I find it really grounding. Um, and it really engages my breath as well. So it gets me in a, a good space. That sounds great. And what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh, that there's no one journey. Uh, the comparison's the devil. That you've got to be willing to look daft. Mm. So many things. Uh, I think that what if is the inevitable question. I think regardless of where you end up, you will always be asking that. What if this had gone my way? What if that had gone my way? What if I'd gone to that school? Do, do you know what I mean? I just and I, and I think you'd feel that in any profession. What if I'd become an accountant? <laughs> do you, I just yeah, just um, you've got the glasses for it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, oh God, there's so much. Yeah, so much. I don't know. Having a beer with Connor from the future would be interesting. <laughs> And is there a piece of acting advice or direction you've ever received that's that you carry with you? Um, so anybody that's been to Mount View will probably tell you about Andrew Jarvis. He was like the classical teacher. The, um, he used to talk about the the, the bird on your the parrot on your shoulder. He goes, "You're shit. You're shit. Shoot it." Is what he would always say. <laughs> Love um, it. That's a generic one that everybody will probably tell you from that. Um, there was a movement tutor that I worked with. Now, this is not based on any facts or I can't back this up, but she claims that Ewan McGregor apparently cried when he had to sing at drama school. Um, I've no idea if this is true, so don't quote me on this. But um, she said this to me specifically about the... You know, I was saying, I'm, like, I'm kind of petrified. Like, whenever I sing, I'm petrified. And she said, well, he cried and he's gone on to do Moulin Rouge. And she's like, you always end up doing the things that scare you the most. Mm. And I think that's been very true of my career. And then um, a piece of direction, Rebecca Frecknell, um, I've worked with her a few times and she always likens, she likens it to, uh, like an actual, likens an actor's journey in performance to dot to dot, where you draw the lines between the dots, one, two, three. And she argues that the dots are like your objectives. Or they're the places that you need to be on stage, like the light you might need to hit for like all the things that need to happen in order to tell this story. And then she sort of argues that how you draw the lines in performance, as long as you're hitting those dots, is up to you. Um, and I think that analogy, that imagery really worked for my mind. I've always kept that with me, like, yeah, it's dot to dot. As long as you're hitting the beats, as long as you're doing the things that have to happen, how you do that, that's your instinct. That's the live. I love that. That's so, that's so cool. And that makes a lot of sense. 
there's one thing that I did want to share just when we're talking about when you're talking about rejection, I think one of the things that I find hardest is the lack of opportunity, actually. Um, because you were saying you don't get many auditions. I'm saying I get one every sort of four months kind of thing. And I just want to link that with this idea of being proud in your work and what you submit. But um, there was like a true crime Netflix documentary um, uh, in South Korea. I think it was called The Raincoat Killer or something like that. And they asked the detective in that, um, was it luck that you caught the killer? And his response, I thought, was really poignant to our industry, that I wrote it down. And it's just something I want to share. He says, um, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Um, and that really resonated with me. And I just think that is so key to those of us that aren't in a luxurious position where we're being uh, chucked at the wall, as they say. Um, I know I'm always prepared that when that opportunity arises, I know I'm going to do a good job that I can then leave and be proud. Thanks, man. Yeah. No. I've, 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 I've heard that from a lot of people who are creative. I think it's, it's very, you know, there's nothing more truer than that. If you could encompass this business, um, you know, because you can be cast on stage. You can be cast in a film you can you know you can get something high profile staying there and being able to do that again you have to be good you can be lucky you can be lucky and maybe do it once but getting to do it again that's the hardest part yeah um well that segues nicely to i would like you to say something you are proud of that you've done connor Oh, all of it, man. Um, I, I'm, re I'm really, really, really proud of my teaching work. I'm really, I'm really, look, I'm, a, I'm big on my talent development. I really feel like I've got an onus to give back. Um, and I'm proud of the work I'm doing in these drama schools. And I'm proud that I'm preparing students to work in a medium that is relatively new. Um, and I'm proud that I'm hopefully making waves in in the gaming industry um, in the sense that these companies will now be getting these actors that are coming in prepared. I'm, I'm really proud that I'm the man that's, that's helping hopefully, well, one of the men, should I say, I'm not the only person doing it, but um, that we're moving for that we're moving this medium forward. Um, I liken talent development a lot to um, football and youth development there and sport. Why do we never hear of these people that were like touted to be the next um, big thing? And it often just comes down to minutes, right? They just didn't get the chance to play. And so I hope that I'm really proud that I'm hopefully giving people the chance to play. I'm giving them more minutes. That, and I hope that I'll get more minutes and we all get more minutes if that so that we can all reach our potential. Yeah. God, I love that. That's beautiful, man. You're marrying my two, one of my two favorite things, creativity and football. They are my favorite things too. <laughs> <laughs> why we get on, Ed? Why we get on? And is there something, is there something you would like to achieve? Is there something you, is there a goal in mind? Is there something you're reaching for or a project you want to, you know? So, the only sort of solid goal I ever gave myself was to work for the RSC by 2020. Mm -hmm. 
I did have opportunities, but never got cast. Um, oh, so I do. I really want to do a Shakespeare in my my accent. I really want to do that. Mm. Um, but another big thing for me is I want to voice again. I, I really, I, it's the medium that I adore. I want to voice again. Oh, there's too many. I want to work with Sally Wainwright. I want to work with Jimmy McGovern. Mm. But I will say that to young actors. Look, honestly, ask yourself if you get offered a job, is it something you want to do? Is it somebody you want to work with? Does it pay well? And if it ticks two of the three, it's a no-brainer. Do it. Mm. Yeah. That's not to say if it only ticks one, don't do it. Because if it pays really well, then it might <laughs> worth doing it if that job gives you enough money that it allows you space to be creative. I think you've got a wonderful voice. I think you could do lots of voiceover work. And I hope that with as you said, you're pursuing that next sort of chapter yeah, of your, your talent development. But yeah. you, 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 cause you've got a lovely sounding voice, Connor. I think you'd be so great. When I talk, yeah. When I talk about being proud, um, it's the only medium where I don't have any basis to know if what I'm doing is right. And I know there's no right or wrong, but it's like, I, I, I have no measure for myself. Mm. So I can't sit there and go, I'm proud of that at the minute. Does that make sense? Yeah. I do. I've got a wonderful voiceover agent. Um, I've got a, uh, a wonderful uh, voiceover coach that I'm doing lots of class. So like, I, I am, I'm getting more and more confident with it. And I, I'm very confident 2024 is going to really open that world up to me. Um, but I'm also like, yeah, there's, 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 there is work to be done there. I, well, I can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah. Um, you've been an absolute joy. You've been a, such an inspiration and, uh, this is generally one of my favourite episodes I've recorded. Oh, behave. <laughs> Serious. Um, I've enjoyed everyone I've listened to. So I mean, I, I've enjoyed everyone I've done. But yeah, it's this has just been this has been great. So I'm going to end my podcast as I end all my podcasts with um, the wonderful questionnaire made by Bernard Pivot, who inspired my favourite interviewer, James Lipton from Inside the Actor Studio. Connor Neves, what is your favourite word? I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you with some Cumbrian dialect. I love the word "ratch." Ratch. Yeah, which basically means to look, to search. Mm. So if you're like, "Where's my keys?" Oh, I have a ratch in the cupboard. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And what's your least favourite word? Not for any reason of what it means. It's just more how it feels in my mouth. So it's like word, like words like flan. Lovely. Uh, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Seeing growth, watching people develop, hmm. what knowing in myself that I'm developing. Um, yeah, just I think that's wonderful. Just I love those more. I just sit with such pride, grinning from ear to ear when I'm proud of people and oh. It's amazing. And what turns you off? Being made to feel that like you're intellectually inferior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I which that. happens a lot in audition rooms. What is your favourite swear word? Oh, I've got loads. Um, there's a French one, just because it sounds similar to my name. I've got it on a pair of socks. <laughs> it's canard. 
um, which apparently sounds very similar to a word um, that sounds like duck. Um, I don't speak yeah. any languages, so I've, I've no yeah. idea. <laughs> French, well, French for duck is yeah, canard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I, I think cunard is the. Oh, I got it wrong, Cunard. No, 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 I think, I, well, I could be wrong, I'm sure. I could get the socks out and have a look if you want. <laughs> um, but I think I think it means bastard or dickhead, one of the, one of the two. I'm not mm. sure. Um, ask a French person. <laughs> well, and what sound or noise do you love? I love this. I love falling asleep to the sound of a rain on windows. Like I could sit in a conservatory while it's raining and just listen. And what sound or noise do you hate? Masticating. Not masturbating. Masticating. <laughs> oh. oh, it makes my bum all tighten. <laughs> what, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I'd probably go into forensic psychology, I think. Um, right. or Or something to do with computer games. Maybe like a, a lead narrative animator or something i don't know amazing and what profession would you not like to do so many <laughs> uh anything that involves sort of like life and death i think i i wouldn't be a good surgeon um well silver service waiter man sod that getting screamed getting screamed at by chefs and posh people that nah, you're right i've been there i know I did. I did one shift, and I went never going back. Hmm. I got told off because an egg fell off the plate. I was like, nah, not for me. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, you completed it, lad. <laughs> like, you, you, you did it. Um, I'd also like to hear like, sort of, you're a good. You were a good man as well. I think that would mean a lot to me. Well, I'm not God, but I know you're a good man, Connor. Mm. And, um, thank you so much for um, giving up your time on a Sunday for me. I'm just, I'm delighted you've asked. I'm just flattered, if anything. No, why not? You've, I think you've, you know, you've, you've offered multiple golden nuggets uh, in these couple of hours. It's been. You say that I'm going to go away and be like, oh, you said that. Oh, you sound like a knob. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> You've not remotely sounded like a knob whatsoever. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I will let you go. Um, big, no love worries, to, big love to you. So, great, so grateful for, for today. And, um, it's my pleasure. I'm just delighted you've asked. That's So thank you very much. And thanks for listening as well. Really appreciate that. Well, I've, I've genuinely really, really enjoyed what I've heard. And I'll cool. probably, I will subscribe and keep on it. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Well, Take care, man. Have a good Christmas. Take care. Bye. All the best. Well, my thanks to Connor Neves there. Um, that was just so wonderful to have an interview with him. And there was so much to unpack and so many things to be inspired by. And um, so much knowledge there. And he's worked very hard. So congratulations on everything. And getting your first role on TV in 10 years, that's, you know, it's amazing. And that's a re reality for most of us. It takes a long time to get to these things. But if we just hang in there, if we keep moving forward, if we keep working on our craft and working on ourselves and um, building those contacts and things will come, I think it, you know, the wait is always worth it. 
this is going to be my last episode, not just of the year, but for a while. Um, I'm going to take some time out from this. <laughs> After taking some time out from acting, I started this. I've got a lot of things uh, in my head that I want to get on with. And um, I will be back in the new year with more episodes. But I don't think Act's going to be taking a break for a bit. So um, I'm not going anywhere yet. I'm not finished this uh, crusade of uh, community that I just want to keep building on and keep getting more people on here to talk about acting, talk about creativity, get people inspired, get us all motivated. This is, I mean, this has helped me. This has motivated me. I mean, I'm, I'm not quite returning to the acting world yet, but when I do, there's going to be such a fire in my belly. And a lot of that is coming from talking to the people you've listened to. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your feedback. But if you're listening and you'd love to be a guest and you've got some things you'd like to talk about, I mean, you want to share your journey, drop me an email. Don't think act podcast at gmail.com. Um, if you've got a cringeworthy audition story, come and get involved and next year we'll pick up again and we'll be doing more of these and um, hopefully some other interesting things down the line. But in the meantime, have a great Christmas and have a wonderful new year. Have a creative new year. But take the time now. Take that rest you need to um, refocus, to ponder on your year. But don't put any pressure on what you've not done, what you missed out on. Just um, just take stock in yourself. Things you might want to work on. Maybe you want to try accents in the new year. Maybe you want to do some stage combat. Maybe you want to learn some martial arts. Maybe you want to learn some archery. The options are endless and all skills are helpful. So... You know, you have to think about what you want to do, but do it without pressure. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Have a chilled time. Hopefully everyone can be with the people that they love. And um, let's raise a glass to those that aren't with us as well. Have a Merry Christmas, guys. And whatever you do next year, I hope you stay creative.